Welcome to the Mobile Game Dev Playbook. This podcast is brought to you in association with Game Refinery. Join us as we uncover the latest trends in mobile game design. Hello and welcome to the Mobile Game Dev Playbook. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. This is a podcast all about what makes a great mobile game, what is and isn't working for mobile game designers, and all of the latest trends. I'm your host, John Jordan, and in today's episode, we are taking a deep dive into what's been going on with FunPlus's State of Survival. Um, so that's going to be really exciting, and we have two experts, um, I guess, from both sides, uh, from either side of the uh, of the equation, um, joining us uh, from Game Refinery by Liftoff. We have uh, Milka Panonen. How's it going, Milka? Hey, how's it going? First time on the podcast. Very exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting for me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're coming as as our um, four X sort of expert, or you do various other things as well that will uh, we'll sort of uh, come come into the podcast later on, but you're our sort of 4X expert. That's a difficult thing to say. Um, so th- thanks for coming on. And uh, we have Bob Slynn, who is our uh, FunPlus expert, I guess, as the uh, VP of Business Development. How's it going, Bob? Good. Very good. Great to, great to be here and uh, excited to chat about uh, our games and uh, 4X. Good. So um, before we sort of dive straight into the game, um, should we do a bit of background? Bob, tell us what's been going on. You know, who, who is FunPlus? What have they been doing over the years? Where did, where did they get to this, the situation of making State of Survival? Sure. No, absolutely. So yeah, FunPlus has been around for a little bit over 10 years now. So it started in 2010. Uh, two founders were based in California, uh, decided they would basically build a, build a gaming business, initially focused on Facebook games. And they had real success over the first couple of years. But I mean, around 2016, they decided they, to sell that original studio focused on casual gaming and then kind of went back to the drawing board and and really decided to focus on mobile and uh, initially strategy. So that's sort of the, the, the super high level story. But what's interesting is, you know, the company has grown dramatically over the last four or five years. So since they started in mobile, uh, the first game was Kings of Avalon 4X strategy game, just celebrated its sixth anniversary. Then they launched Guns of Glory in quick succession. And then just coming up on three years ago, they launched State of Survival, which is really where the the big, I guess I'd say the the really big increase happened and the the really big shift in trajectory. So, you know, all our 4X strategy games, uh, the companies continue to evolve. We have about 2,000 people globally now. And then we've we have a number of people in Switzerland, which is where our global headquarters are, including me, we have uh, teams all over Europe. We have a studio in Stockholm. We have people in Barcelona. We have the majority of people in Asia. So we have a, a number of uh, development studios in China, which is where all the Forex games are made. And really the, you know, the ongoing ambition is to continue to expand across multiple genres. So we've just launched a game called Call of Antia, which is um, a puzzle RPG game, um, which is our first move beyond Forex. We have had some casual games that we're testing. So the idea really is to continue to to expand and learn. And then also we're starting to look at expanding across um, platform. We have a, a team that was acquired um, in 2021 who are in Irvine, California, uh, who are a lot of ex-Blizzard people who are really focusing on thinking about kind of the next generation of IP, because uh, that's one of the you know the long-term vision of, of FunPlus is really thinking about IP within games, but really this vision that I, the next generation of great IP will come from games. So that's where they're really focusing longer term on on how we think about about that long term objective, while we continue to focus on growing the mobile business. It's sort of sort of, sort of the, it shows 
the incredible growth that we've had from mobile. I think I actually came across FunPlus back uh, back when they were making, uh, before they were probably called FunPlus, before they were making uh, some of the casual stuff. And it was sort of interesting to, to see that sort of transition or selling off that bit and then going into, you know, quite a heavy duty sort of 4X. To me at that time, it didn't, it didn't seem very, very clear that the, the two things were well related, but so, so, so much I know, <laughs> I have uh, hundreds of millions of downloads down the line. Um, okay, good. So, uh, Milka, let's, let's talk a bit about um, sort of 4X. And, you know, we've had... I guess seven or eight years now of, of of you know innovation in the forex sort of mobile space. So um, where do you think that state of survival? Where does that fit within sort of the the forex free to play mobile genre? And, and um, I guess in particular, why has it had such success? What what are the features that make it stand out? Yeah, well, I think uh, state of survival actually fits quite well for the forex space at the moment because I think. The increased focus on characters being the main source of power progression has been a huge trend uh, lately. So uh, games are bringing more characters which can be collected, developed and used on various missions. And uh, this also opens up various monetization possibilities through gachas and uh, direct purchases to support this character collecting and upgrading. Uh, also, uh, increased variety of upgrading methods for characters has been huge um, possibility for these Forex games uh, when they are evolved to this direction. Uh, also something that uh, I've been noticing uh, lately has been uh, like the character building through story dialogue and theme is also used uh, as means for bringing more depth uh, to the game. So that is something State of Survival does also a lot. And uh, that is an interesting or important point in their success, I think. Also, something uh, I think hybridization is also a huge part or, you know, it's a huge trend at the moment. So um, most of the new games entering top 200 have been utilizing these uh, different hybrid me mechanics. Uh, some really innovative approaches uh, like uh, the merge mechanics, for example, or match tree puzzle mechanics even has been, uh, we have been seen in Forex games lately. So uh, some really surprising combinations. And uh, it's uh, I think it's a good way for games to really differentiate themselves from their competition at State of Survival has also, also been differentiated differentiating themselves with their uh, RPG kind of uh, like this hybrid mechanics that they have implemented. So uh, I think all in all, Forex, uh, it is getting much needed, you know, extra layers uh, to the gameplay, uh, which makes, to me as a player also, uh, it makes Forex on mobile right now really interesting and more fun even uh, than before. I think it's definitely the case. The first wave of Forex games were incredibly abstract <laughs> and incredibly deep. That was sort of the, the thing that sort of drove these very strong communities around them. But there was very little sort of obvious engagement. You had to sort of dive in deep and, and sort of just uh, keep swimming down until you found sort of a... Where's my metaphor going here? But uh, you, had to, you had to work quite hard to get into the game. Once you got into the game, then they were, they were very sticky, which is why they were very successful. But I think, yeah, I remember playing some of those early ones, just like... One, I'm no idea what I'm doing here. Two, there's just like millions of materials that I'm collecting everywhere to level things up, and it's just like a whole, whole, uh, uh, yeah, very confusing. Yeah, it has made the games games maybe a little bit more accessible, also. So maybe maybe that's the reason why forex is kind of a rising genre, I think, lately, also. And also, you mentioned hybrid, hybridization. You've li been listening to our previous podcast where we mentioned it constantly, all the time. That is this sort of fascinating thing where now many mobile games, no matter what they are, sort of 
seen as in terms of genre they can have you know sort of many different sort of genres within them they're becoming almost like meta platforms for for gaming but um yeah leave that one if you're interested uh go back and listen to some of our previous podcasts where we we, we spend a lot of time on that anyway uh, so let's focus on state of survival um yeah so in particular the characters is is interesting and we've noticed or in the in the uh game refinery uh recent awards um state survival one two for biggest evolver and best use of ip in a collaboration event so um well maybe Bob, talk about the best use of IP in a collaboration event, because this is something that was very striking. And this is the, you, you've had a, a very successful IP event with uh, The Walking Dead. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously they're both zombie games, we should point out. That's, uh, I guess that's the obvious starting point. <laughs> and they're both zombie um, IPs. Yeah, there's a there's a natural connection there for sure. But equally, you know, there's a lot, lot of Walking Dead games out there as well. So there is this interesting idea that, you know, maybe for The Walking Dead, you know, doing a big collaboration with another zombie game, Obviously, it has been sort of successful, um, certainly for you guys. But there is an idea of sort of you cannibalizing existing games or existing IP holders. So, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you think those those that sort of area of of making sure you're not sort of annoying existing IP holders by doing these other things and how and obviously how it played out for State of Survival? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the, the point that you made about the the importance of the characters and the heroes in our case is central to the reason we started doing these IP collaborations because really. You know, I think that was the big innovation. State of Survival, the two parts were one, you know, thinking about the theme and thinking of the depth of, depth of story around, you know, this post-apocalyptic zombie land and really how that that might resonate. And as we, you know, as we were building the game, we really started to to see that players did appreciate that and you could build a really incredible deep story. And then you attach that to the heroes and people could really start to build affinity for the heroes and there's a whole process of unlocking the heroes and making them stronger like classic rpg mechanics but that meant that people had this in addition to building their base and all the kind of classic 4x stuff they had this whole other narrative and a whole other way to interact with the game which i think because point was also was made it more accessible but um, when it came to talking about actual ip and collaborations what we did is we we asked their, our players we do a lot of things where we you know talk, not surprisingly with these types of games in any type of game you want to talk to the community and talk to the players and so we actually did a number of surveys around you know what are their ip what are their not necessarily games just what are their ip that they find interesting and so not surprisingly the walking dead was you know top of top of the list so we went you know slightly before my time but went out and talked to amc and figured out that again there's this natural affinity because of the worlds that and you know, the, the two environments that the the TV program and all the other offshoots of the Walking Dead IP live in and, and our game. So they were, you know, they were great to work with and quite happy to, to collaborate. So the idea was we would create both a hero, a Daryl Dixon hero, who would live in the game and again, still lives in the game. If you'd unlocked him during the, the six-month integration, you can have him as one of your characters. So there's this, you know, again, this strong RPG element and this continuity, and he fit perfectly into the the lore and the storyline of, of State of Survival. And the story continues to evolve. And it's, again, all about trying to find a cure to stop the zombies and you're building your base and you're building these alliances. So it was a pretty natural fit. But what we saw, which was interesting, is um, you know people really appreciate the connection, partly because you know, it made sense and it was a natural thing. But we also built out a storyline around you know his arrival, how he was going to help, how he was going to try to you know be a new hero to try to take on the zombies. And I think, you know, what we also do for all of these different integrations and a core part of the game is we'll have these events, which are these multifaceted activities, you know, again, live ops sort of thing where part of it is through the community interactions, part of it is through kind of traditional unlocking and you know, PV battles, and you 
basically over time you have to work to unlock the the character. So when we talk about having a six month promotion, there was a you know people could come into the games at various times and it would take a while to actually unlock Daryl Dixon. And we really saw you know very very positive response from the community. I think they they appreciated it. It fit naturally. And then we did a bunch of marketing activities around around that, which is another, you know, from a business standpoint, part of the rationale for this is to help expand the audience. So we, you know, we partnered with the, you know, the ultimate rights holder. So there wasn't really, I think the, the thought was more around these two universes and how they could fit together rather than thinking about, you know, the pre-existing games, which are, are serving different different audiences. Why the six months? Because <laughs> I think we were previously discussing that maybe that was the longest collaboration we'd ever seen in a, in a, in a game. It just seems like that. Uh, you know, it's part of the point of collaborations is, is you have them limited edition. You sort of try and force everyone in there and get it sort of done quickly. So six months seems a bit counterproductive or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, being, you know, being super transparent, this was the first one we did. So it's been, you know, it's been a learning curve for us. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Fun Plus and from the beginning had always built their own IP and had always focused on you know finding super talented producers, having them build teams around them, and build these amazing games. So this was the first time we'd actually collaborated with someone. So I think you know partly it was an experiment. I think partly just because of the way these things work and the fact that it can take a while to unlock the character. Because again, depending on your intensity of play, depending on you know if you're spending in the game or not, it can take a while to actually unlock the character. To be fair, I mean, I think what we did, as you'd expect, we there was a, a big spike in engagement and activity early on, and then we had you know, we had some marketing beats throughout the six months. But I think, you know, did it need to be six months in retrospect? Maybe not. But I think you know, overall, I think the the way the the game works, once you've unlocked the character, you're engaging with Daryl Dixon effectively forever, right? So it's the one we did more recently with the Joker was shorter; it was about three months, and I think we saw a similar impact and similar engagement from the community so i think you know i don't know that we'd need to do six months next time around it's sort of interesting as you say you did one with with the joker which is clearly nothing to do with the zombies so so there's the flexibility of the envelope in, of the ip envelope in which you can you know obviously again there's a there's probably the elasticity is, is it could be broken and, and sort of you can imagine those what sort of things going horribly sort of wrong but the joke is actually sort of quite interesting because he's that sort of chaotic sort of figure although not specifically zombies so it's and he was actually a playable character that the players would use against the zombies wasn't he yes yeah and that was i mean again you know being when i first joined the, we were already talking about integrating the joker and the process was underway and again the immediate reaction is well the joker is not a zombie he's not in a post-apocalyptic world on the other hand you know, he is this agent of chaos, as you say, and he certainly, you know, had, there's a rich lore around all the different things he's done, and he's quite a mischievous character. So what was impressive to me coming from the outside initially, because I arrived just as that was, you know, about to about to go live, was the games team had built this very involved storyline, a whole secondary storyline around, you know, how the Joker would appear in the game, how why it made sense, why people should engage. And, the you know, the initial premise was, you know, is he good or bad? Because obviously the Joker historically is is very much on the the darker side of the the spectrum. So there was he was initially positioned as kind of a friend and he was there to do good and help people find a cure. And he partnered closely with the doctor, who is one of the kind of main parts of the story, who's always trying to find a cure to the what's infected the zombie. So there was this again throughout the three months, there was this arc where it, as you went through the event and as you went through the different activities, it gradually became clear actually he maybe wasn't so good after all, spoiler alert. But it, you know, it, it worked very, very well. And it was one of these things where because the story is so deep and because the team spent a lot of time thinking about the story and why it would make sense for him to appear, it ended up working working great. And uh, and we, the other interesting thing is by working with Warner Brothers and DC Comics who own the IP, 
because we partnered with the kind of the, the comic book character and there's a number of different iterations, we actually had a reasonable amount of latitude in creating our own Joker. So we had, you know, we, our artists created a version of the Joker who would fit within the game and obviously subject to approval and everything. But it, that also made it, I think, feel more natural because the art style and everything else corresponded to the to the rest of the game. And just for people who haven't played the game, it is very interesting, I think, from the from the get-go, playing through the, sort of the initial um, sort of tutorial, how... And often you have sort of story in there because that's what gets people going, but but it's sort of, you know, it's sort of very humorous sort of sort of storyline. So um, another thing, uh, as I said, on the, uh, the State of Emergency won an award for was the um, biggest devolver, and, and that was particularly for a localised version of the Japanese market. So, uh, okay, I mean, you're, you're an expert on the Japanese market in general as well as being sort of 4X. So, um, uh, you know, are 4X games generally big in Japan? And the Japanese market is very big for mobile games, but tends to be sort of more RPG focused, doesn't it? Yeah, the market in general is very RPG focused for sure. But there are many, many Forex titles that are successful in Japan also. Uh, what uh, was actually for a state of survival, I mean, I have been following the Japanese market for a while. So uh, one of the keys to succeed in the market is to offer you know more personal and familiar content to the local audience. And I think a uh, state of survival has done good job at just you know they in that game like emphasizing a little bit of the Japanese characters or the like the cultural elements in the market I feel has been good good way to boost boost its success in Japan especially yeah yeah just to add on that I think you know, obviously Japan is is a, an enormous gaming market and a hugely competitive and and quite a unique market so you know interestingly state of survival the our Biggest markets have tended to be in the West, so North America, Western Europe. Even though the development team is is in China, so as we started to look at how we could you know, gradually expand and, and localize the game, we've over time added more languages. But uh, you know, Japan again requires a different level of of localization and adaptation. So to make a point, we you know, we added different heroes, we created a different entry point, we partnered with um, different Japanese celebrities to create a whole marketing campaign. And you know, to be fair, it, it's it's a hard market, right? And we're still continuing to learn and still continue to iterate on the game. But that's again part of the approach is really as we as the game continues to scale and mature, coming up to th- its third anniversary, really thinking about how do we adapt the experience for the different markets and you know where can we find the right heroes where can we find the right partnerships do you think you end up with a sort of situation where you end up sort of running parallel sort of games in this you know, I, I guess the walking dead probably is, is fairly universal but there would be things that would work really well in the japanese market that would clearly not make sense anywhere else so do you end up sort of with a separate version of the game or is that just a problem <laughs> I, I think the, the core game experience and you know the alliances and really the the collaboration of the community and the base building, all that can be pretty consistent. I think it's, a, to make this point, I think it's an element of really thinking about the the visual treatments, do have heroes that resonate, and then where you can find the right local partnerships. And I think, again, it's an ongoing process to, because really the game, the reason the game has worked as well as it had is partly the storyline continues to evolve and there's an interest there, partly you're unlocking heroes. So again, localization is important. And then thirdly, the, the community is critical. And, you know, like all Forex games, once you get to a certain point, in our case, you join an alliance and that, that becomes this incredibly social supportive entity. And I think that's one of the kind of fun things about State of Survival is because the, the theme is very bleak and you're, you're trying to save the world and yet you have this very strong group of friends. And, you know, I've been in multiple alliances because occasionally I get kicked out if I'm not active enough because the bar is pretty high and the the friendships are amazing but we've also done a lot to try to 
make it easy for people with translation tools and all these things. So yeah, I think that's, you know, it's, it's this balance of trying to make sure we have scalable tools, but also make sure we can really support communities locally. So always the problem with Alliance is you go on holiday and then that's it. You <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Do these people never go on holiday? That's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm continually amazed that, you know, you get these 2 a.m. messages for some sort of incredibly important battle and contribution. And it's, uh, it, it is, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it really is the, the strength of the communities and the dedication is remarkable. But I wonder if that's, going back to the sort of our initial talk about sort of hybridization, you know, is, is the the sort of secret source of, of, of a state of survival is that there is, I think, compared to like the, the, the classic sort of Forex game, there is quite a lot for a for a solo player just to sort of, you know, enjoy just, you know, farming the stuff and building out that and getting your heroes and, you know, doing the those sort of things. And Forex games have typically tried to try to get people into alliances very, very quickly because that's sort of, if, if they're going to stick, that's where they're going to stick. Whereas it seems to me, in my limited experience of it, state of survival sort of, extends that sort of let's keep them in the game let's keep them enjoying it and sort of getting in you know retained in there and then you know the alliance stuff is more likely to, to stick them when you get in there i mean where do you see alliances in that sort of funnel if it funnels the right word no no so it's, i mean it's a great question and i do think i mean as someone who when i came to the game i was much more personally much happier to kind of progress and unlock my heroes and there's a whole pve pathway and you can progress through and your heroes can get gradually stronger and there's all these nice little animations. So you can keep yourself entertained for quite a long time. I do think at its core, the alliance mechanic and the community is is what keeps people around for the really the long term. It still remains the same just because it's such a such a powerful thing. Once you join the alliance and you start competing against other alliances and raids and it's just it really is compelling. But again, you can have I think it's almost more more useful and more interesting as a complement to that when there's downtime if you're because once you start get to a certain level and you're upgrading your base it takes a very long time so the ability to upgrade your heroes and interact with your heroes in a different way i think fills in time or gives you another path to stay engaged in the game look how, how do you see sort of trends around sort of alliances and and, and single player stuff within forex games are we seeing lots of sort of sort of trends around that sort of balance between the sort of the single player elements in forex games and, and alliances or you know how, how does how's that that shift happening oh yes uh i think it's it's a huge uh trend also just like mentioned uh having having these options of playing having this uh, option to play single player modes or you know progressing that way is also also important because not everyone can be uh, for example for me when i play as a free to play player i the the progress for me in general is a lot slower than many of the strongest people in the in the alliance so it is a way for me to feel like I'm I'm making meaningful progress on my own while I'm also trying my best in the alliance activities also. And I guess sort of one thing we we we've not spoken spoken about at all is uh, is uh, monetization. Obviously, the success of a game is, is sort of uh, monetization is pretty important to that. So um, I mean, obviously, Bob, for certain things you you can and can't say, but you know, does the effect of sort of adding that sort of longer sort of single player thing does, is that important for monetization or with with any forex game does really the core of monetization is going to get people into alliances and get them doing these big alliance wars and these big, you know, sort of special events where the alliances really are really going for it because the rewards are so are so great. No, I mean, I think I think it definitely does. I think you know, the it's it's another path because people really do like the heroes, engage with the heroes, and the heroes become part of part of the alliance experience because you'll have your strongest heroes are representing you in battle, and so I, I think you know it does present another avenue where. People and it, it becomes again quite hard to level up your hero, and your hero has 
attributes and skills. So, you know, again, it's like an RPG model where there's there's different things you need to try to, and different elements and shards you need to acquire over time. So absolutely. And then you have base building and then you have troops. Uh, of course, you need to you know, acquire more troops. You lose your troops in battle. So yeah, it's definitely another element of monetization that's that's proven successful. And you might correct me if I'm wrong. With the characters as well, you sort of have to. You can't just buy. You can't just get the the best characters. You sort of have to level up in terms of you know certain generations of characters. Yeah, exactly. There's there's different groupings, and you have to progress with your base has to get to a certain level. And each time you get to another level, then you also have to up level your hero building which is then allows you to have your heroes within the building progress so everything is interconnected i mean again from an engagement standpoint it's great because there are all these different vectors in between the big battles and the big excitement you're always thinking okay well have i got my heroes to this level have i got this happening am i doing my my pve way which is another way to again unlock assets so it's yeah it is definitely a sort of multifaceted experience i, I find myself you know losing way more time than I would care to admit when I think I, you know, it's always the, I, I'm just going in to harvest a few things and then, you know, 45 minutes later, you're still there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's quite compelling. Good. Now, um, obviously there's many things you're not going to talk about, but I wonder sort of in general, if you can talk about, you know, State of Survival, sort of three years uh, anniversary coming up, you know, where do games like that go? Do you sort of end up on a, on a treadmill of, you know, more characters, always exciting, more sort of events for the alliances, always exciting? Is that the sort of trajectory now that it goes on? Because now clearly we have mobile games that are, have been you know, successful for 10 years. So how far how far do you look into the sort of future of, of, of these sort of uh, games that I'm sure State of Survival will last for 10 years as well? But Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting one because, again, you have these players who are incredibly engaged, who spend a lot of time with their alliances. So I do think, I mean, just the inherently the nature of the game and the social fabric of the game means that there isn't specifically a shelf life. I mean, if you're engaged and your alliance is strong and you're wanting to battle, that will continue to be interesting and relevant. I think the, again, like all games of a certain maturity, live ops, you know, very important. And I think particularly the way this game works, there is you know, a high frequency of these different events. I think what we're trying to do now is really think, you know, we've been doing things for the community for a while as in sort of more traditional you know, Discord, Facebook, Instagram, whatever else. And we have very active communities on the social platforms. But what we're also doing is really thinking about how we can connect with that community in different ways. So we just did an event in Berlin recently where we had uh, effectively a, a number of our most engaged players came to a, you know, a, effectively a, a physical event. And it was, it was quite fun. We had actors dressed up as zombies and prizes and interacting with different you know people from the community and our our team so that, that was super fun it was in this abandoned some sort of i don't even know what it was like a radar station or something it really did look post-apocalyptic so we're trying to again be creative around how we can engage with our players you know beyond the i'd say the kind of normal normal channels so i think that's part of what we're trying to do um if you look at king of avalon which was the first game we launched which is six years six years old and, and still going strong. We've actually just done a big release, which is effectively a whole new theme around the way the game looks and the way the game plays called Frost and Flame. So it, it it's all kind of Arthur era knights and dragons, but now there's this whole new set of lore and history and characters to, to experience. So that's, a, again, I think it's the first time we've done something like that. So not to say that's imminent for a state of survival, but there are different ways to to continue to keep the experience fresh and exciting. And I guess in, a, in, a, in a, an apocalyptic world, you have quite a lot of variation. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty fun. I mean, the heroes can continue to get it stranger. And I think, you know, we're going to continue to look at the right types of partnerships and bringing 
the right characters, even though there is, again, this sort of strong tradition of really the writers and the producers coming up with with their own storylines and their own character development. Good. Oh, excellent. That was uh, brilliant, really. Yeah, Rick. So I think people who haven't been playing uh, State of Survival, obviously uh, now is the time to uh, to download it and uh, and see what's been going on there. Um, thanks very much for your time, Bob. That was really fascinating. Oh, thank you, John. That was great. Great chatting with you. It was a pleasure. Uh, thanks, uh, Milka, for coming on and giving us your uh, expert opinion. Thank you. I hope you'll come back. hope we weren't, we were, we weren't too... Uh, <laughs> terrifying <laughs> good <laughs> and uh thank you uh for you uh, listeners and watchers depending on how you uh, consume the podcast uh, please subscribe by your uh podcast uh, provider of choice and, uh, and and come back next time uh, we are talking to sort of the people who are building out this this fascinating mobile games industry now now the biggest part of of the entire games industry and now we see sort of building out these very long-term sort of uh, products that are evolving in in, in very sort of uh, fascinating ways and uh, if you uh, subscribe to the podcast you'll, you'll find out what, what's coming next so um, see you next time thanks for listening